Welcome to Translating Aging, a podcast about how the science of human longevity is transforming the way we treat disease. In each episode, we bring you conversations with the researchers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders who are working at the vanguard of the field. Translating Aging is produced by BioAge Labs, a clinical stage biotechnology company developing therapies to extend healthy lifespan by targeting the molecular causes of aging. I'm Chris Patil, VP of Media at BioAge. When we've talked on the show about advancing longevity biotech, a theme that comes up again and again is the importance of bringing new talent into the field. In recent episodes, we've talked with people who are achieving that in a wide range of ways. A fellowship program to create new CEOs, an effort to lobby Congress to promote policies that enhance longevity, and most recently, a decentralized autonomous organization that aims to democratize longevity research. Today, we'll be turning to a recently launched initiative to accelerate the post-aging future by helping passionate and talented people from diverse backgrounds find their own optimal path to contribute. The organization, appropriately named Less Death, officially launched last week, and it's gearing up for its first major event, Longevity Summer Camp, to be held in July of this year. I'd be remiss if I did not mention they also have the coolest animated logo I've ever seen in my life, which you can view at lessdeath.org. Today, we're joined by founder Mark Hamalainen. Mark, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. I'm a big fan of the show and of BioAge. Oh, that's nice of you to say. Well, let's get right down to it and talk origin story. How did you get involved in the longevity field? Oof, I go pretty far back. I'd say around age 13, actually, I read The Mars Trilogy by Kim Stanley Robinson. And longevity was a major theme, but it was also a story about believable characters building a utopian future. And it kind of inspired me to want to do the same thing with my life. So I just started reading everything I could about longevity and science, life extension. But at the time, it was kind of a backwater field, to be honest. There wasn't a lot of great information available until I read in 2005, Aubrey de Grey's paper, An Engineer's Approach to Real Anti-Aging Medicine. And that was the first time that I felt like somebody was presenting like a problem-solving oriented approach where we're actually going to engineer a solution to this. I ended up emailing him, and at the time, he was part of the Methuselah Foundation with Dave Goebel, and I ended up being a uh, summer research student as an undergrad, and that was the beginning. How have you stayed involved since then? Well, I started a PhD at Cambridge working on some gene therapy development, but I quickly got a bit disillusioned with sort of the pace and the amount of sort of extra work involved and like grant writing and bureaucracy and academia, and I had an opportunity to join a... Uh, startup in California, which I happily dropped out of my PhD to join that. That was called Halcyon Molecular, which a lot of great people were there. We were young and naive and trying something incredibly hard, and it was an amazing learning experience. The idea there was to improve the reading of DNA because we thought turning biology into a sort of a software slash information problem would allow progress to be accelerated. Halcyon Molecular ultimately didn't uh, succeed as a company, but a subset of us from that company started Synthago to sort of advance that same line of reasoning. And that's been quite successful. Uh, I was there for about three years. And now you've moved on to another kind of project. We're going to talk more about that below. Let's stay general now and just thinking about the longevity field. What do you think of as the biggest unmet need in the field right now? Uh, well, when I started... I think the just recognizing that it was a problem capable of being tackled at all was the major issue. Only like really weird people were speaking up about it. Uh, it was a very fringe thing to be involved in. That's sort of 
matured and now it has the movement has legitimacy, I'd say. And so the next major hurdle was money and um, money is now also starting to come, I would say, although we need more. But personnel, so I've been doing a survey of longevity technology developers and hiring consistently comes up as like a challenge. Like we just need to grow this field really fast right now and sourcing all of the different types of people you need in order to scale that is quite challenging. Okay, so just to calibrate sort of my own lived experience against what you're experiencing, from where I'm standing, it feels like a new longevity biotech company gets founded every other week. There's a huge spike in venture interest. Money is flowing pretty freely into the field. Even if you discount, you know, huge new players like Altos, there's still a lot of money coming in. But you're saying you feel like we're still talent limited. I think we're still funding limited if you recognize the scale of the project we're trying to take on. But I think funding is maybe a little bit ahead of talent right now. And so just trying to like get those in sync is, I think, important. Fair enough. What particular kinds of talent do you feel aren't making their way into the field right now? I have my personal theories, but I've also been surveying and I'd say engineering, software, bioinformatics, physics, people that have a very sort of problem solving, information based way of thinking. We have a big community of discovery oriented research that I think is super valuable, but lagging is the sort of nose to the grinder technology development to turn these ideas that we have into actual therapies that a person could get. And so I think the people that could do that work are highly needed. Could you say a bit more about why they're needed? What exactly it is that they'd be doing in the field that needs doing? It's taking a phenomenon that was demonstrated. We have all these things like we talk about senescent cells, mitochondrial DNA mutations, This is a long list of things we know about aging biology and sort of proposed solutions. But then I would call it technology development, the like taking that concept and turning it into a actual, reliable, safe, effective therapy is very hard to do. And that's the area where I think we need more attention. Gene therapy, gene delivery is a good example. Like we've known for ages if we had safe and effective gene therapy, it would be a total game changer for aging and disease. But gene delivery is, I would say, still an unsolved problem. Right. Like a lot of kind of barroom conversations about what we could do about aging involve the presupposition like, well, if you could change the gene expression of every cell in every muscle in the body, or if you could reliably deliver just two or three mRNA expression vectors into neurons of the brain, right? And it's like, well, if you could do that, you could probably do anything in biology. And so there's a bunch of tool development that it's definitely being worked on. We're farther along than we used to be. But what I hear you saying, and I think this is true, is that we need to go a lot farther before we can even test some of the theories about what's causing aging and what needs to be happening to slow or reverse it, let alone developing safe and effective therapeutics. Do I have that about right? Yeah, and it's true for other areas too, not just gene delivery. Like if you're doing replacement-based approaches, imagine going to some clinic somewhere and they're going to replace your stem cells. How does that actually physically happen? Like there's a lot of process development. You have to like understand where are these stem cell niches? How do they work? How do you do these? Like people generally want to avoid surgery because there's complications and risks. And so like making that safe and effective 
I think all of the areas, all of the different types of therapies we're talking about have a long way to go in terms of taking them from the demonstration, the concept to the actual therapy. And your hypothesis is that it's engineering talent and philosophy that's needed to solve those kinds of problems. Yeah. And then there's a lot of supporting roles too, though. And that's the thing, like if we're going to scale up efforts massively, which is necessary, if we want to benefit from these types of things in our lifetimes, we need people that can do operations. Like we need people that are like technicians. We need, as Laura Deming pointed out, we need more founders, but every founder needs a team. (laughs) So we don't just need founders. We need a lot of different types of people to support those engineers as well. If everyone was a founder, there'd be no one to work at the companies and nothing would ever get done. So you've described a lot of different kinds of talent and different kinds of perspectives that you feel are needed in longevity and in longevity biotech, I guess we can say. So let's stipulate that these people exist in the world. Why are they not already coming in to the longevity field? I think a lot of people would prefer to work on important problems like longevity, climate change, building a multi-planetary species, those types of things. But it can be difficult to know where to start and how to build a sustainable career out of it. You have to actually get paid to do this stuff. And historically, I would say biotechnology research is rather underpaid compared to other things people could do. Uh, So that's a big problem. I mean, if you're a great engineer, software person, you might want to go work for a tech company. It's certainly the case that there's a lot of demand for certain kinds of talent and that there's competition, especially for software engineers who have a really wide scope of companies that they might work for. And so irrespective of what the pay scales are, there's simply more opportunities in tech writ large than there is in biotech. And biotech requires some specialized skills in order for a person who is a software engineer or other kind of engineer to bring their talents to bear. But what I hear you saying is not that people aren't aware of the value proposition of longevity biotech, but that they feel like they're uncertain how they'd like to get started or they feel like if they do get started, they'll be under-rewarded. Yeah, I think those are true. And it's also just a heavy lift to understand the field, to understand aging biology, look at all of the different things that people are trying and wrap your head around, like, how do you decide what project to contribute to? A lot of people from outside the field might have like heard about like telomeres, but they don't really understand the biology of telomeres and how relevant that actually is to aging. And so I think to get caught up A lot of the people I know in the field are just so passionate that they've spent 5, 10, 15 years teaching themselves this kind of stuff, learning through experience, learning through trial and error. Learning through getting a PhD. Yeah, but I don't think you need to get a PhD. I think we could come up with more efficient ways of getting people up to speed. Right, but it's just an example of a way that people have taught themselves about longevity. In fact, quite a lot of them. Okay, so we have a couple of reasons why people are not coming into the field, ranging from being uncertain about how to get started, to being afraid of being under-rewarded, to needing a little bit of extra time or a lot of extra time to teach themselves or otherwise learn the biology required to understand where the important problems are. Those are a lot of obstacles. How does less death plan to overcome them? In the survey that I've been doing, talking to people already in the field, a lot of them had sort of an inspiring moment or event that they went to significantly for social reasons. It was like influential to them. Like they sort of felt like there was a community that it was possible to be part of. So it like sort of validated that this is a real thing that I can do. The Sense2 conference in 2005, surprisingly 
large percentage of the people that I've talked to were there and were very influenced by that experience. And so I think recreating that experience purposefully, intentionally for as many people as possible is an approach. The other thing is that when I originally was conceiving of this, I was thinking about two analogous areas, which were software boot camps, which kind of sprung up to meet like a demand for software engineers that wasn't being met by existing educational institutions. And the effective altruist community organizations like 80,000 hours that help people that are interested in doing socially beneficial work sort of figure out how they might contribute. Those were two inspiring sort of approaches. The problem with longevity is that we need such a diverse number of types of people. It's not like a software bootcamp where you go and learn a programming language. And so that idea evolved into rather than having a program where people come for some number of months to learn longevity engineering or whatever you want to call it, what we're thinking of as a residency program where you first have people come to these retreats and then you sort of split them off and send them to go do residencies where they can gain experience in areas that are match their personal interests, their personal talents, and match the sort of career path that they envision for themselves. Oh, that sounds like a really cool idea. And I want to get back to that. Let's drill down on one little phrase that you used in your answer there, these retreats. One of the things that Les Death is planning to do basically as its first action is an event called Longevity Summer Camp, which is going to be held July 24th through 30th, 2022 in Nevada City, California. Is that the event that came out of the inspiration from Software Bootcamp that you were referring to before? Yeah, and it was kind of inspired by Sense2 and by the idea of this Software Bootcamp. So uh, our thinking, you split the Software Bootcamp into two steps. There's the first, there's get everybody on the same page, make sure they understand the nature of the problem of the industry, of the technologies that are being pursued. And that's what the retreats will do, get people on the same page. And then you split them up and send them off to go get actual experience. And so the summer camp is just the first event that we're going to do. It's kind of like a workshop-based thing. So we have these camp counselors where you're getting to sort of mingle and talk and think and bounce ideas off these people that are sort of maybe 10 or 15 years ahead of you in their career trajectory. And we'll be breaking it up into biology, technology, and the sort of industry slash ecosystem workshops on those different things. Cool. So you have camp counselors. So paint me the rest of the picture. Are the participants actually going to be living in tents? There'll be options. We're going to encourage people to tent. I mean, for COVID reasons, being outside is great. And it's in a beautiful location in a redwood, in a forest. But there will be a certain amount of indoor rooms available as well. Earlier, you mentioned getting people on the same page. What's on that page? That's why I'm doing the survey, which I think is an important part of what Less Death as an organization will be doing into the future, is... Everybody has their sort of biases about like, what are the interesting technology paths? And what I want to do is get a broad sample of like what people are thinking and to sort of organize that information and just make it available. So you don't have to personally go and talk to all these people. Less Death can pick their brains and then make that into like something that's digestible for a wide audience and freely available online is the plan. So you're going to talk to like a wide range of people and figure out what kind of the diversity of views are about this question and about these problems, and then 
distill and summarize that and make it available for people to review so that they don't have to have those conversations individually. Exactly. That sounds great. Going back to the details of the event, what sort of people are you hoping to attract? We talked earlier about the kinds of talent that you want to come into the field, and the answer may be what I said earlier, but I just wanted you to have a chance to elaborate a bit more on who you're hoping to come. There's a lot of potential target audiences, a lot of types of people. For this first event, it's going to be limited in size. And so you've decided to focus on is highly talented, either technical, entrepreneurial, or operations type people that don't currently work in longevity or are very new to the field and could benefit from like a big sort of boost to their career. In the future, we want to target people earlier, sort of like students. But for now, our target audience will be people that already have some experience and some demonstrated ability to execute in another area. And are there any like exclusion criteria? Not specifically, like anybody who was already very experienced in longevity, it would be sort of a waste of our resources to try to help them. But other than that, we'll take it case by case. One of the reasons I asked that, Mark, is that there's a couple of questions on the application with the gist, how much life extension is enough for you? Like, are you a health span only person? Are you double lifespan person? Are you a indefinite lifespan person? What I was wondering when I was reading it over is, are there right and wrong answers to those questions? Or are you looking for diversity? Or are you just asking a general question for background purposes? The answer to that is actually we're kind of curious as to what the results will be and also whether people's answer changes before and after the retreats that they go to. Once they get there, what can the campers look forward to experiencing? We're going to have the camp counselors who are going to run workshops. These are going to be people that are sort of models. They're going to tell their stories about how they get involved. And the counselors themselves come from diverse backgrounds, so they can be potentially inspiring to a lot of different types of people. And the workshops will break people up into small groups, actually, so that it'll be very interactive. It's not going to be lectures. We're actually going to have some sort of required reading that we'll send out beforehand to make sure that people have at least a minimum baseline understanding for for the workshops. And then we'll be talking about the scope of the problem in terms of aging biology. We'll be talking about the different technology paths and let people discuss what they think about those things. And then also something that I really wanted to do was make this a fun and healthy experience. So we're going to have exercise breaks. There'll be a yoga instructor. There's going to be super healthy food and some fun sort of longevity themed activities. That all sounds great. And actually, one of the things I thought would be fun is to talk to a couple of the counselors. So right now we're going to break away from Mark and we're going to cut to a couple of conversations that I had with counselors at the first inaugural longevity summer camp recorded at another time. First, we have Stephanie Dano, a board member at the Lifespan Extension Advocacy Foundation, lifespan.io. How's it going, Stephanie? It's doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Excited to be here. Thanks a lot for joining us. Before we talk about uh, less death in the summer camp, maybe some background about you. What attracted you to lifespan and longevity as an issue, and how are you contributing now? I'd like to start with a disclaimer, which is actually relevant to why I'm even talking to you today about less death. But I don't have a formal science or technology background. I do have a very deep interest and enthusiasm for STEM and the impact it yields. My professional experience is unusually diverse and non-traditional, but I've never liked the idea of getting older and losing my faculties and physical capabilities. My father suffered from heart disease for decades. The last six months of his life were especially painful to witness. He was always enthusiastic about and involved in my career. And had he been more coherent at the time, 
he would have been able to witness my efforts to build a drug discovery startup focused on the age-related disease he was actually suffering from. I'm certain this would have brought him immeasurable joy. Unfortunately, we didn't have this opportunity. And I know I'm not alone in this experience. We've seen many instances of life-altering discoveries. We have the tools to reduce age-relating suffering. We just need more people and capital. It's about rethinking what's possible. In the case of less death, with our careers. So less death is offering insights and accessibility, community, and opportunities to leverage your existing skills in a different environment. I did not have that when I was trying to get into the longevity space. And I want to ensure that I'm able to facilitate that transition for others. You're going to be a camp counselor or mentor at the first inaugural longevity summer camp that's happening in a couple of months. What kinds of people would you like to see apply to participate? Honestly, anyone who's interested in rethinking what they're capable of achieving with their current professional skill sets. If you want to invest your time supporting initiatives that drive measurable improvement to the human condition, but you're really not sure where to start, this is the event for you. Many types of scientists, engineers, programmers, founders, technicians, operations experts, even business strategists like myself. If you're passionate about maximizing human health and lifespan, this is a great way to contribute. Fantastic. Well, once all these diverse people are actually at the camp, what can they look forward to experiencing? A welcoming environment where you can explore real opportunities with people from a variety of professional backgrounds that all have like-minded goals. This is a community that's collaborative by design. We're all seeking the same outcome, which is time, but it has a caveat. Extending your lifespan doesn't mean much if you're suffering during that extension. So actually improving the quality of that time that's being extended is really what our initial focus should be. What made you want to be a counselor at Longevity Summer Camp? Growing up, I was conditioned to believe that a successful career required staying in a lane and working your way up a narrow corporate ladder. I discovered Ray Kurzweil when I was a teenager and have always felt noteworthy excitement whenever exposed to some revolutionary technological development. So this was evidence to me that people were actually thinking outside the box and were willing to challenge the status quo. I ended up working with Singularity University, helping Fortune 100 corporate executives rethink what's possible with their businesses by leveraging exponential technologies to not only stabilize their models, but also improve the human condition. The longevity community, to me, is always thinking about new ways to make progress. And I was fortunate enough to be part of some of the initial conversations about this initiative, whereby I was able to bring a business expertise to a group of brilliant individuals with scientific expertise and help build something game-changing. Next, we'll hear from Kia Winslow, who works with me at BioAge Labs, which is the sponsor of this podcast. Welcome, Kia. Hi, welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me here. Oh, yeah. Thanks for being here. So I want to get started with a little bit of background about your personal story. Maybe you can tell us a bit about how you got involved in the longevity space. Yeah, that was quite, I would say, not straightforward path. Initially, I have a background in physics, but I was working in tech since my early 20s. And I founded a couple of tech startups and through participating in various startup accelerators, I actually ended up here in the US. And when I got to Bay Area, I was so inspired by everything I saw here. And I decided that I would like to deepen my knowledge in the software development. And I went to bootcamp, coding bootcamp. So I worked as a software engineer for a couple of years. Around that time, I became very, very interested in aging. And I have a couple of friends who are working on aging. And through those friends, I actually ended up on some party where I met Kristen Fortney. Kristen Fortney, as probably a lot of people who are listening to this podcast know, she's a founder and CEO of BioAge Labs. When I met her and talked to her, I asked her a question, what can I do with my background, the person who doesn't know biology and worked only in tech and doing software engineering, 
what can I do for aging? She said that the main biggest problem in aging is that there's not enough people. The biggest thing that I can do, the only thing that actually will be the most significant one is that I can switch and start working on aging. And that actually had a, such a profound effect on me. A month later, <laughs> I quit my job. <laughs> and I met Christian at another party. Since that time, I actually joined BioAge Labs. And uh, without any knowledge of biology and with just experience in tech and various roles, I was able, I think, pretty successfully to join the community and contribute to this problem to work on aging. Fantastic. You've been at BioAge now almost six years, which makes you one of the earliest hires, and you've been an active member of the longevity community. What brought you to less death? So actually, when I chatted with Mark and he said that he has an idea of bringing more people to aging, and specifically, he was interested in bringing more engineers to aging, and he would like to make a bootcamp for that. That really sparked my interest because of two things. First of all, I myself have this background. I used to be a software engineer. And I switched to work on longevity. And the second thing is that I also participated in the bootcamp myself. And that was a life-changing experience for me. So I thought that those two things together, if you would be able to make a bootcamp that helps people to join biotech startups, even though if they didn't have any prior experience working in biotech or don't have any knowledge in biology, that would be absolutely fantastic. And, you know, engineers are learning very fast. They are like really curious minds. And I think just having this opportunity for them, that will hopefully make huge impact on the industry. So as a counselor at the uh, Less Deaths inaugural Longevity Summer Camp, what other kinds of people are you hoping to see participating and applying to come? So there's actually so many talented engineers in the Bay Area. And probably me saying engineers is just uh, specifically reflects my background, but not only engineers are welcomed. So what I represent is the people and who I'm looking for to meet and see among the participants are mechanical engineers, people who are doing robotics, of course, software engineers, people who work on data like machine learning uh, engineers and data scientists. All of these people, I think, would be able to contribute. And I think there is actually a lot of reasons why, not only based on my background, but I think it's one thing to do basic research. And most of the people who like work in biotech and who's working on the longevity, there's like biologists and scientists with incredible minds and backgrounds. But I think it's totally another challenge of like doing translational science. And I think modern biotech can approach this challenge through engineering. And the reason why I'm saying this is that we have actually a really, really good example is Genentech, who was found, I think they were found like in 70s, right? And by many people, that time was marked as a birth of biotech industry. So what did they do? They basically brought engineers. They genetically engineered microbes to produce biological molecules. And the core of the innovation of Genentech was centered around manufacturing. So Genentech was able to produce the first human version of insulin. And this is, was a great example how you merge biology and engineering and get something absolutely new and have basically a breakthrough in the industry. And that was about four years ago. And since that time, biology progressed so much and tech progressed so much. So there was a rise of robotics and AI and software collaboration tools. And from biology, there was 
also omics revolution, right? We have so, so much data right now that we were not able to see before, and now we need to process it and to analyze it. So there's so much work can be done. And I think all these engineers who would be able to join us and who has all this like incredible experience of working in tech, and if you would be able to bring them on board to work on the, of course, I hope aging specifically problems, <laughs> that would be absolutely fantastic. What can the campers look forward to experiencing at the camp itself? I think what the main thing that people will get out of it is the connections and new friends. Because after you spend a few days together, learning new things and in such a great place together and chatting together, I think it will be something absolutely magical coming out of it. Everybody who wanted, always wanted to or were curious about aging, they would have all these people around them that they know now that they can ask what they can do, where should they go, ask for advice or ask for expert opinion. Also, people would be able to collaborate, I think, together and maybe come up with some new ideas of what they want to work on and what they want to try. In general, it's just like bringing more people to the aging community, bringing more people on board. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm very, very excited of what Mark is working on. I'm really happy to be part of it. Now I'm back with Mark. I want to talk a bit about what comes after Longevity Summer Camp. One of the things that's emerged from what you said about the opportunities there and what our other guests commented on is that, among many other things, it sounds like a great opportunity to form relationships. What kinds of efforts will you, that is to say less death, make to ensure that those relationships last? There's the summer camp, which is one version of the retreats that we plan to do. And then to turn that into a long-term thing, that's where the residency program comes in. We're also thinking about sort of ongoing alumni meetup groups. So the people that you've gone through this process with will have a sort of maybe a quarterly virtual or in-person, depending on the group, reconnects so that they can sort of talk about um, their experiences and potentially like with the sense too that I talked about the conference that a lot of the counselors went to. These are people that formed lifelong friendships and often worked together or just helped each other out. And so I think that'll happen naturally to some degree, but we do plan to have a sort of alumni program. How will you know that it worked? What does success look like to you? There are some other organizations that are sort of doing or operating, I guess I would say, similarly to us and the idea of helping the industry grow like accelerators and startup incubators. And those are largely focused on how many companies were formed and what was the ROI. For us, the objective is to get more people involved. So our success criteria is like what percentage of the people that come through a program actually end up in a career in longevity for the long term. What do you think that number might be? That actually ties in nicely with the sort of programming that I want to apply because it's like scoping the challenge and the solution correctly, like having them match. I think we need the industry to grow by tenfold or even a hundredfold if we're going to see large benefits within our lifetimes. That's challenging, <laughs> but we would like to have more events in more locations, not just California, obviously. And then online material that would allow people that can't make it to the events to benefit and even doing maybe 80,000 hours as an organization that I admire a lot 
the way they do things. And they offer sort of one-on-one guidance sessions, hour-long guidance sessions for free to people that are interested in effective altruism. So things like that. Yeah, to scale it, I'd love to reach like a thousand people a year at like an actual talking to them level and maybe many more just through the distribution of the materials that we generate. Cool. Well, I'm sure by now some of our listeners are wondering how can they apply? So Mark, how can they apply? Go to our website. It's uh, lessdeath.org. We're a brand new organization, so there's not a whole lot on there, but it'll be expanding with time. So you can also sign up for the newsletter there to get notified when there's more information being posted. So just check it out and there's a form to apply right there. Awesome. And the deadline for applications is May 30th. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. And for our listeners, we'll put the link in the show notes and it's very easy to find on lessdeath.org, just like Mark said. All right. So as we get toward the end of our time together, I just want to ask you kind of blue sky time. What's next? Paint a picture of the next five years for me. Ideally, what I'd like to do is get a sort of a permanent small team. This can be their main gig such that we can work to make this the best quality thing and scale it to more locations, expanding the survey, publishing the results of the surveys. And I'm interested in uh, feedback from the community too about what they think is needed personnel-wise. Like we'll, we'll adapt to feedback and basically play the role of trying to grow the workforce and train the workforce. So that's probably going to be a moving target over time. These are all noble and worthy goals and Translating Aging and BioAge wish you the best of luck. Mark Hamalainen of Less Death and the Longevity Summer Camp, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Many thanks as well to our listeners and subscribers. If you have feedback or suggestions for future episodes of Translating Aging, you can contact us by email at podcast at bioagelabs.com, on Twitter at bioagepodcast, or via our LinkedIn page. You can also follow our sponsor, BioAge Labs, on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'll see you next time.